Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Brian, and I am tonight's co-host, a senior from Chicago, Illinois, studying dramatic writing and an RA in Carlisle. And I'm Tom Ellett, and I am the other co-host, and I serve as a senior associate vice president of student affairs. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tell me how life is in Carlisle. Carlisle is awesome. Um, we have a great team. We've gotten a couple of new team members throughout okay. the year, and they're awesome. They great. have adapted really well, and our residents are awesome. They're super, super engaged. Wow. Did you live in Carlisle previously? So I lived in Carlisle as a summer assistant. Okay. Um, and then I worked there as an office assistant, but this is my first academic year in Carlisle. So tell me what is the special... Uh, sauce or traditions or what is makes Carlisle a special place to live you know room selections coming up this is a, a PR moment for those who are going to be living in housing next year well for starters we're right on Union Square which is I mean you are steps from the subway um, you could fall into it on accident um, we have a couple of adorable dogs that live in the building you do um, but also our courtyard is the, the place to be great. it's awesome um, even this winter has been so warm yeah. that people are out there all the time yeah. we have like glider swing seats Whoa. yeah it's well and you also have the market right outside yes. uh, th- three times a week uh four four times four a week. times okay. a week okay mm-hmm. and half of the building is going to be renovated this summer so yes. even nicer are you, now are you returning next year i am not you're not retiring what's up for you next year um well i'm graduating that's right um I'm still figuring some things out. Okay. Um, I love New York, so mm-hmm. it's just going to be figuring out how to stay here and keep doing what I love, which is writing. And, and that's great because tonight's guest is also a writer and actor. Today our guest is Jake Arkey, who served as an RA in Lafayette from 2006 to 2008. Welcome, Jake, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. Uh, where are you and how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I am in Los Angeles, California, and I'm doing uh, pretty damn well, actually. Awesome. Jake, you're doing better than that. It's Tom Ellett. Great to hear your voice. Uh, We're going to hear all about the great things you're doing in the world of art, uh, writing, and acting, all of those great things. But first, I need to take you back in time. Time travel you back to Washington Square. Uh, What did you study while you were here? Uh, So I was in uh, the Tisch School of the Arts, and I was studying dramatic writing. Amazing. That is also what I am studying. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I love it. Did you enjoy dramatic writing? Oh, absolutely. I was just, I was kind of over the moon that I, I made it into the program. And then once I got into the department, it was just like, my mind was blown. There were so many things I was exposed to and so many opportunities I got to, to take part in. So I, I loved that department. I loved my, my classmates and my teachers. So it was all around a, a phenomenal experience. Tell us a little bit about what made you want to do the RA position. Well, it became a, a necessity because um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, NYU is super expensive. But uh, around my soft, middle of my sophomore year, my dad kind of called me up and he's like, hey, we got audited by the IRS and your uh, loan status and like grant status is for some reason that, that affected it. So I wasn't getting as much money. And uh, he's like, you're either gonna have to drop out of school or figure out some sort of solution. So uh, I was like, well, what could I do? And then I thought like, well, maybe 
becoming an RA would be a good way to go about it. Cause I'd, I'd been a camp counselor and, and I'd worked, you know, uh, at my Hebrew school back home. And I was like, that sounds like it would be awesome. And then I, I went through the initial training and was just kind of blown away. And by, by the end of that, that initial course where they're kind of downloading you with everything, I was like, this, this sounds awesome. And uh, it turned out to be another wonderful experience that I'll never forget. Amazing. And um, what kind of relationships did you have with your residents? You know, I, it was it was a pretty good relationship considering I think I had about 60 people my first year. Um, I was a solo RA on uh, the 10th floor of Lafayette. And I, I would say that it was some I was somebody who my residents knew that they could come talk to me that, uh, you know, I was going to be hosting events, but I wasn't going to, to try to force anybody into anything. Um, I started planning different programs and, you know, we would get tickets to the Daily Show or uh, the Colbert Report and do outings like that or make sure that everybody was there for like the back to school events. And um, and so I think people appreciated it. But I also know that the residents appreciated it because I uh, would throw I, for the two years that I was there, I threw myself on the fire for uh, being the only, like one of the only Jewish RAs. And I was like, I will stay through Christmas. I will make sure you have good Christmas programming. We will have Chinese food and movies in the, in the common areas. And, uh, and if you're just lonely, like you can come on down. Cause like nobody else is here. And I know, I know the few uh, students who did stay around, they did appreciate that. So I think it was a really good relationship I had with the residents overall. You did your religion well. Uh, exactly. That is for sure. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the staff at Lafayette. You worked for Napur Goyle and Tara Nakata, I believe. That was it. Yes, and they were fantastic. They were just so supportive and encouraging, and um, especially that first year where you're coming in and it's a little overwhelming, and you're not quite sure what to do, what your role is and what's going on. Uh, I mean, Nippur was just really great. And Tara came on the second year kind of as, as uh, her right hand person. And it, they just really fostered a, uh, a sense of community amongst the RAs themselves, but then to a larger extent, everybody who was in the building because Lafayette included uh, the, the sororities, the fraternities, um, it was like the second largest dorm on campus at that point in time. And, you know, that's a lot of people to really feel like they belong at home. And I, I learned so much from them about just engaging with people and making it feel like this was uh, a real place to live. And it didn't have to, to feel so much like a dormitory. It could still be fun and neighborly and, and have a sense of community. That's awesome. And in your time at NYU and in your time as an RA, what was what were the highlights? What did you enjoy most? At NYU, I think I just enjoyed any chance that I got to go out and explore New York City because I'm originally from Salt Lake City and it's, you know, way different uh, and polar opposites. So going and, and having like, you know, like they say, the the, the city is your campus. That was my favorite thing to go to shows or art exhibits or, or go see music in some venue. 
And I wanted to pass that along to my residents. So I think one of one of my favorite things that, that I would do with my residents is we would all go up to Broadway and we would just do a student rush. And that was a, a new experience because, uh, you know, uh, long story short, uh, the second year I was I was an RA, what was t- Lafayette was typically an upperclassman dorm, but they had so many freshmen coming in. They needed to house freshmen in Lafayette. And so uh, there was a, a good amount of freshmen who were on my floor who kind of needed to be integrated into the city. So uh, I got I got a small group together. We went up. We we rushed Avenue Q. We went out. Uh, I think to we went out to some restaurant that's no longer there. And it was just it was like a great great experience to like be introduced to like oh yeah these are the types of experiences you can have in the city this is the type of stuff that that we can facilitate for you and like for me it's just it's fun and it's an opportunity to go see a show and meet new people and and kind of forge that that initial bond so what got you into the whole idea of being an actor and writer oh i just the need for attention um <laughs> Truly, I mean, I was I was an only child for ten years, and then my my parents were were very gracious and adopted a young boy from India who became my my younger brother. But uh, the attention shifted off of me, and uh, and I needed to gain it back somehow. So you know, starting in high school, I, I started to get involved in in the theater scene, and then uh, I joined an improv troupe that was kind of doing it quote unquote professionally in Salt Lake City, and. I really, I loved it. And I started to want to, to write my, my own stuff for the stage. And so I wrote this 10 minute play. I think I was a junior in high school. I sent it off to this theater festival in Chicago. It ended up getting produced. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And it's that same play that I, I sent in to NYU with my application that got me into the school. And I think I just, I wanted to to start, you know, having my perspective heard and, and having uh, roles that I'd like to play on stage. And I knew that it w- probably wasn't going to be exactly what I was looking for unless I wrote it myself. And the second I figured out, oh, I could I could write my own play and be in it. And then to a larger extent, you know, do it for a, a movie or, or some type of small series, like, yeah, I'm on board. So the the more and more that that I I got involved with it, the more I wanted to make my own stuff, and then it just kind of started happening. That's amazing. I and I think the need for attention that you mentioned is very relatable. Do you um, need attention too? Yeah, okay. I think I think a lot of artists wow. want attention, even if they don't admit it. Absolutely, Tish is just like, hey, put the spotlight on me. Yes, yes. Was there anyone that inspired you along the way to do what you do? I'm a huge Sam Shepard fan. Um, so like he he was somebody who I was like, whoa, this is this is somebody who's who's a playwright but is is an actor, but kind of started out in this like punk rock fashion. And it was it was like awesome to know like that, that that was that was a viability, you know, or a viable option. You could actually do that. It didn't have to be stuffy or you know highfalutin so that was a huge inspiration and then um i i i mean a a big one too was spike lee truly because i once i i started to see his movies and especially his earlier stuff where like he's in it 
And to me, like, Do the Right Thing is my favorite movie. And to it's so good. And it's so interesting and funny and, and uh, relevant and heartbreaking. And to think that he he's writing it, he's directing it, and he's in it. Because we don't necessarily think of him as, as an actor, but he's he's great in, in the roles he puts himself in. And just be like, oh, he teaches at NYU? Oh, okay, yeah, I want to go you know, try to be close to somebody like that because they're, they're doing it all. And that's really what it comes down to is I, I just, I, I liked people who wore multiple hats who didn't just do one thing. So anybody who was a writer slash director slash actor, um, I think Tina Fey too was a big inspiration because at that point she was like head of SNL and was doing weekend update. But then I think my junior year is when 30 Rock came out and it was like, oh my God, yes, this is, this is like a show that I want to create and be on at some point in my life. Well, we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear about that future that you're now living uh, in just a moment. Uh, so hang on and we're going to go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Ryan. Um, I was an RA in Founders Hall, and I'm here to talk to you about Humans of Hollywood. Since getting my first job in Hollywood, I've met so many interesting and inspirational people with some amazing stories and advice. So I thought, in 2020, why not start collecting these stories to see who else we could in inspire? You can find us at The Hollywood Project on Instagram, where you'll find daily stories of inspiration, creativity, and perseverance from this crazy industry I've grown to love. Who knows, you might find your next job there. Also, if you have a story to tell or know someone great who does, don't forget to email submissions at humansofhollywood.com to let us know. Thanks so much. Welcome back. Jake, we've just heard from you about your experiences at NYU. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what you've been doing since you left. Um, what was your first job like? Uh, my first job was, uh, it, it was with the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, California. And I was involved in the company management side, which is pretty much uh, taking care of visiting artists, um, uh, actors, directors, writers, uh, production people who were coming in to do shows with us. Um, and it was a, a really great learning experience of like how everything uh, works in professional theater and especially regional theater. And it was really cool because I got to uh, work on a show that summer, Memphis, which eventually would go to Broadway and eventually win the Tony Award for Best Musical. And to see the development of how that show changed and to see how it became the show that it eventually, you know, won all these awards was, was awesome. And, and cool people along the way were, were coming through too. So, you know, uh, really making those connections, seeing how it worked. Um, and then uh, the recession came through and uh, a bunch of us got laid off. So I was, uh, I was quickly dropped into the world of like, well, this is what it's like when you're working and you're a working artist. And then this is what it's like when you are a struggling, starving artist. And to figure out what to do next from, from there uh, was a stark contrast, but um, I really think it, it helped me find my footing as, as a professional creative and, and to be resilient and tenacious. It sounds like a, a real stark difference for you. How did you get through that period of time? Because I would say, you know, it's tough out there uh, and there'll be a lot of 
uh, times where people aren't doing what they want to be doing in terms of making money to do that. Um, how did you get through that? And then what was the next thing that led you to uh, kind of seeing that there is the sun on the other side of that mountain? Yeah. Um, God, it's so, it's such a good question you're asking because it's, it's tough. And I, for me, it was just really trying to find any job where I could apply my skill set. So um, I, I bounced around to a few gigs. I, I worked as a, a video game quality assurance tester for a little bit, um, but that wasn't really my thing. Uh, so I, I became a blogger for a personal injury attorney. Oh Great fodder for what you're writing too, yeah. I imagine. I know, right? It was some of my best work to date at uh, seriousaccidents.com. May it rest in peace. Um, but like anything to get myself out there. And and it really, uh, it's it's amazing. And I, I have to credit NYU just for, for being a place that makes connections. Because while I was in San Diego, uh, I met this guy, my first 4th of July there. I'm at a party. I don't know anybody. And this guy walks up to me in a, a kilt, a wife beater, and a combat boots. And he's like, you want a slice of pie? And I'm like, okay, great. And we get to talking. And it turns out that this guy, Justin, was uh, he graduated NYU from the dramatic writing department the year before I arrived as a freshman. So we we just barely missed each other, but we started talking and he's a San Diego native. And we're like, you know, there's a lot of writers out there who say that they write, but we never see it. And it would be good to have somebody, you know, hold them accountable. So we we started to form this writers group and then that group started to to put on shows. And then we're like, we actually might have a thing here that's akin to the moth or this American life. And we formed a a nonprofit literary arts and education outreach organization called So Say We All, where we were producing plays and we were producing people's stories um, and, and doing publishing. And that saved my, my soul, my creative soul, while I wasn't, you know, writing about car accidents and wrongful death lawsuits. It was like, this is my creative outlet and this became my community. And from from that, and you know, I, I, we founded that 11 years ago, and Justin's still running it. He still gives me beautiful co-founder credit, even though I've moved on and he stayed on as the executive director. But it was making that work in a bar, uh, you know, sometimes competing against Monday Night Football for nobody to to pay attention to, to to having that create a, a source where I could send stuff out. And eventually send it out to this theater company uh, in the Bay Area where I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer, a huge, huge background in playwriting and producing stories. Like, uh, would you have me on as your playwright in residence? And in 2010, uh, I came up and did a residency with TheaterWorks Silicon Valley. And then the next year they brought me on as their full time playwright in residence. And from there, I started to grow our uh, our playwriting programs within the education department, uh, doing new works uh, for them in the summer, and and uh, and kind of flexing my muscles for for the first time being in a position with a professional theater company where I was also 
a writer and had a, a, a hand in what was seen on the stage and out in the community. That's awesome. I think it's it's really interesting hearing about how everything that happens along the way informs the end result. I think that's something that isn't necessarily stressed enough in the educational process um, because it, people don't just jump into it. And I think all the things that happen along the way make the work better. Um, you kind of are a jack of all trades with your storytelling, with producing, um, DJing, emceeing. How do you feel like these things kind of inform each other or almost work as you know, an escape or a break from one of your other projects? I think they all inform each other because it, it's all very performative in, in one way or another. And I feel at home when, when I'm on stage or, or when I'm in front of a crowd. And I know that's, that's not the case for most people. Um, you know, I think Jerry Seinfeld had that old joke of like, most people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. But for me, it's, it's, it's a place to be to really have a moment to express myself. And what I've, what I've always told students or other artists that I'm working with is like, if you have time on, on stage, you really get to, you really get to to say what you want and, and show people who you are. So if I'm, if I'm telling a story from my life or if I'm, if I'm acting in another play or, or if I'm, even if I'm DJing somebody's wedding, I can kind of add this flair onto it where it's like, this is, this is my energy. These are my, these are my experiences. And this is what I want to give back to you. And I, I think that that's the, the greatest thing is that if you can find something, even in the, the most mundane tasks where it's like, well, this is, this is what I'm feeling. And I want to know if you felt the same way. And then from there, we kind of have this bond. That's, that's really what informs a lot of my work is just trying to make that connection trying to to make you you think or feel something and you know if, if it's something like like DJing and MCing I want I want to bring people together but if it's if it's something like a play that I'm I'm in or I've written or or a, a short that I've been working on and sometimes I want to split the audience and get them talking about something so that maybe people who didn't feel like connected or or maybe have differing opinions can actually start a discussion and figure out what's going on with each other from there. So for me, it, it's all about getting up, saying who I am, putting it back to, to the people that I'm giving, and then seeing where we find, find those differences and, and where, we, we, uh, where we kind of part ways and, and have our own unique uh, capabilities for ourselves. So that, that's really what it comes down to. Jake, how have you created a routine for yourself and where do you put the creative part in that routine? Or is it something that's more spontaneous, you know, in terms of building material? Uh, you know, are you looking for it or, or, or does it just happen? I, I mean, I'm always interested in people who are as talented as you who can make it happen because I'm not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think we have our own talents in our own ways and that's important to remember. Um, but I, for me, I'm not ever, I don't ever go looking for it um, because I, I think with my process at least, it, it has to be something that it, I will trust that, that it will come to me and that something will be presented. And, you know, it might take time. And similarly to what we were saying before about like, it doesn't just happen. I think 
you know, inspiration can strike. And then the process can be, especially for me, is that I just sit and think about it for for a while. So, you know, I have an idea that's kind of rolling around in my brain that that's been there for about a year. And I think I'm going to maybe think about it for another six months. And then I'll, I'll probably write the first draft within a month just because it'll get out of my system and, and then not think about it again for another six months and go back to it later. Cause I've tried to force it and it, it never feels genuine. It never feels real or, or authentic in what, in what I'm really trying to say. So I'm not, I'm definitely not one of those writers who sits down and, and writes, you know, for an hour every morning or, or gets 10 pages a day out or, uh, or has that routine. My routine is to try to stay open. And um, some, some advice that somebody gave me when I moved to LA is they're like, just do, do one thing for yourself every day do one thing that's maybe a little bit more career based and then do one thing that just feeds your soul. And so to have these outlets where, you know, I can go to Upright Citizens Brigade on a Wednesday night after, you know, working somewhere all day and just be like, all right, I'm just going to play around here for a second. That that to me is as uh, as much of a creative act and an outlet and staying within a creative routine as it is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up at 6am and from 6am to 7am, I'm going to, I'm going to write 500 to a thousand words and just get them out on the page. So, um, because I think uh, a lot of the time too, there's, there's that burnout where you're, you're trying so hard to, to do this one thing or to make this one thing work. And I think if you, if you make the routine about simply being creative and staying open to possibilities and, and yeah, making sure that you, you don't let projects fall off. Um, I think you're, you're doing okay, truly. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's all really, really good advice. I think um, it's really easy when you're here for four years to think about it as a four-year thing. Um, but I think writing is, is a longer, longer journey than that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about burnout, a little bit about you know, keeping pieces like in a drawer for six months. For you, I think going through the career world, do you have any advice about like how to keep believing in, in a project, how to keep kind of checking yourself, checking those voices and so that you can keep returning to it and making it better? Yeah, I think you've got to you've got to to be able to bounce back from any rejection or doubt or heartache that you might have had and to keep showing it to people around because you never know who it's really going to click with. And I, I think coming to terms with the fact that you can't please everybody. And if you write something, it's not going to, to necessarily land with every audience, but to, to not be afraid to keep showing it to people and, and to, you know, be, start to be cautious with like who you show it to as well. I wouldn't say show it to, to everybody, but if there's, if you make a connection with somebody and it's like, oh, I trust your your thoughts and your opinions and you seem to have good taste, like give me your honest, honest opinion about it. I, I think what what can be damaging is when you go and you you hear somebody like say you go to a, a networking uh, function and there's a panel of people who are 
all executives in the TV industry and you really want to get into it and you have an opportunity to pitch them and they're like, oh, that would never work. It's like, well, okay, but you know, you didn't, you didn't read the script. You heard this very quick pitch in this very high pressure arena and you know, don't, don't let that get you down because somebody else might read that and go, oh, right. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And maybe it's not a TV series. Maybe it, maybe it's a short film or maybe, you know, you're able to turn it into a book and that there's so many different outlets. So I, I think we, we get caught up in this idea of success that's based on what other people are doing. And there's so many different ways to be successful and to find fulfillment. So to not get caught up in like, well, if I write something, it has to be like this. It has to turn into this because then you might be closing yourself off to being, being the, the pioneer in a field or in, in some other outlet that you would have never thought before. So uh, I would say, don't be afraid, give yourself time to, to back off of something. If it's, if it's really not working, but then come back to it and, and don't be ashamed of anything that, that you've created because it's, it's all worthwhile. Jake, what are you most proud of, of all the work that you've done to date? I'm proud of, of being able to uh, work with students um, and to, to really pass along uh, anything that I do in a creative educational field. Um, Working uh, at, at TheaterWorks gave me an opportunity to, to work with a, a variety of different students, uh, uh, all in, in the playwriting realm and, and the theater making realm. And to, to see uh, teenagers uh, that uh, maybe have never had a chance to, to see theater or had the opportunity to have their voice heard suddenly get an opportunity to write something and then watch a professional actor say it out loud and then to see it on stage to me that that's really what i'm proud of the most and you know i i am very happy with with the work that uh that i've done but it's it's any time that that next generation or even not the next generation but just somebody else gets inspired um that to me that's what i'm proudest of and you know i saw that at, at theater works also saw that with so say we all where uh, you know suddenly a, a a whole city that we didn't think was filled with writers suddenly blossomed into a city filled with people who just were able to have the tools and the venue to to tell their stories and the, to tell them on stage and to take ownership of their lives so uh, there's nothing better than, than that. And that to date and probably for the rest of my life will be what I'm proudest of. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. You. Um, something you hit on a little bit is just um, putting your work out there without giving all of it out there to people that maybe it wouldn't necessarily resonate with. Um, and I had the pleasure of looking at your website, which I think a lot of writers struggle with self-promotion. Do you have any quick advice about just like for writers, how do you advertise yourself in a space where you can't put everything online, but you really want to sell yourself and sell your ideas? I think that you, as as we all know there's like so many different outlets out there right now and there's so many different ways that you can get uh your work out there so you know say somebody is not uh not a performer or they're not a writer i think the 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 thing is to collaborate with somebody 
to to make it something that you can put out there. So to not uh, shy away from thinking like you have to do it all, but asking for help. So, you know, I, I, I know several people who are writers who, who don't like performing and don't like reading their work out loud. Uh, so how do they, you know, showcase what they're doing and stuff? Okay, well, maybe we find you an actor or somebody who who feels comfortable reading out loud. And maybe we start recording just snippets, just small little chunks of, of your book or, or your short story or an essay. And then putting that out there on social media or collaborating with uh, a filmmaker at that point, somebody who maybe does animation. And that way it gets out there into a bigger field. Because I think I think writers still have this weird tendency to think, that it's a solitary act and like, whatever I do, it's all going to be done with me. And almost every other art form with like an exception of one or two, everybody's collaborating and everybody's getting out there. So, you know, I, I definitely know that there's people that I graduated with from NYU who were like, okay, this writing thing is not for me. I'm going to go into a marketing field and I'm going to, you know, make an actual living and I'm not going to worry about being, uh, being a creative type, but you know them, you know, you could reach out to them. And if they're, you know, unable to help or not willing to help, they can probably point you in the right direction. So form that community, form that network and start just, just being okay with, with, showing it to people kind of like I said before and and collaborating once somebody is is interested and you you've built that trust you know see what you can collaborate and take that to the next step because yeah it's it's hard to self-promote but I think if if you see it as as a as a group effort it becomes a little less daunting and a little less scary no one really ever makes it in any field alone and so it's a good reminder that you have given us. Jake, uh, time for some shout outs uh, from your colleagues of Residence Life. Uh, who do you want to, uh, name do you want to put on bright lights in the podcast? Oh, from, from the RA life? Yeah, Lafayette oh, days. All right. I'm going to go with uh, Katie Kelzak, uh, Jacqueline Paris, um, uh, Jenny Hoofnagel, and Stephen Jean. My God, we he and I, uh, I think we ate a hundred dumplings one time in a room in Lafayette while we were on duty together. Good people. Yeah, great people. And um, and I, I would I would be uh, remiss if I if I also didn't give a shout out to Pooja for uh, for hooking me up with you guys. Ah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, she did a great job with us. Yes, Jake. It's now time for our speed round where we ask you a couple of quick questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. What was your favorite tradition at NYU? I would say that it was the uh, back to school event that we would host at the, the pier every single year to get everybody excited to, to come on back to school. Best dining hall. Oh, uh, it was Kimmel at first, but then Hayden upgraded and definitely Hayden by the end. Favorite NYU professor? Gordon Farrell, dramatic writing, um, forms of drama. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? Yeah, I got to see Haley Joel Osmond walk through uh, the the campus when he was a freshman, which was pretty cool. And I peed next to Danny DeVito at one point. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And a, a show that you saw as a student that made a big impact on you? 
probably the Lieutenant of Inishmore at the Atlantic Theater by Martin McDonough. Finally, your most memorable RA experience. Uh, okay, so there was uh, one night where uh, I was uh, I was on duty and I was you know going around and I was making sure that that everybody was you know good and it was it was not too too crazy of a night and uh so went to bed uh we we wake up in the middle of the night because the the fire alarm has gone off so i've got to help you know corral people out we're like okay well everybody's out there's no fire somebody somebody pulled the alarm and as we're standing outside and it's cold i think it's march or something these two escalades pull up right in front of Lafayette and this huge dude with like this big cross jeweled necklace gets out and he opens the doors of the second one and uh, of the second Escalade and these two residents get out and these girls, they're like in their club attire and they've been out partying and it's a, it's a Wednesday night and they, they're like, what's going on? And we're like, well, we're checking to see somebody pulled the fire drill. Maybe there's a fire. And the, the window rolls down and Diddy is is in the back seat. Yes. No. They, had, they had been out partying wow. with Diddy. And like so it's it's wow. a group of RAs wow. who are seeing this and like a couple of residents and Diddy goes, Hey, you know, if things are really bad, you can come just stay with me. And somebody goes, Are you serious? He goes, Nah, man. He rolls up the window and he drives away and he leaves us standing in the freezing cold while, while we wait for the fire department to give the, the all clear. And uh, that definitely stands out as a, a night on duty uh, to remember. Diddy was on duty. <laughs> Only at NYU. Yeah. Only at NYU, baby. There you go. Well, Jake, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I and discussing your journey um, about kind of where life after NYU has taken you. Um, and as always, thank you to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version life. Jake, thank you so much. And, and I really love the, the image you've given to me of how you've given back and how you give voice by giving people the opportunity to share their works and see that it matters. It's valuable. Your journey matters. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. No, and thank you. And you guys are doing the same thing. So thank you. It was, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to be on this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Special thanks to my engineer, Alejandra Ravello, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasing, and to the current professional staff and the alum like Tara and Napur, who did great job in assisting these alums in meeting their long-term careers. If you like tonight's show, listen and look for more content on the new RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, picks of all-time favorite memories, and many other great information sources. Until next time, how are you gonna hold the door for others to walk through? Have a great night. <laughs>